All right, good evening. Welcome to our summer Bible study. Uh, this is the third of four Tuesdays during the summer. The first time Cornerstone has ever offered a summer Bible study. Uh, thanks to you guys, uh, because you wanted one, and we were glad to accommodate you. Um, so we are uh, in the third of four weeks. Uh, don't forget next Tuesday, the 17th, will be our last time together for the summer, uh, at least until August 21st. And keep that on your calendar, because August 21st is the day the mine starts back up. And you'll be hearing a lot about that through the verbal announcements and the bulletin and inserts and all of that. Uh, we're going to be going through this fall the book of Romans. Great book of the Bible. Loving going through that with you this fall. That starts August the 21st. Remember, though, that starts at 645 till 8 instead of 7 to 8. And one of the reasons that's going to be cool again this fall is we're going to have Seth back with us to do worship uh, for about 15 or 20 minutes before our study. And it's going to be a great time on Tuesday evening. So that comes up Tuesday, August the 21st. And again, if any of you would like to be in any of the small church Bible studies that I do on Sunday at 8.30 and 11.30, we would love to have you there as well. All right, let's get into it tonight. We've got a lot to cover. Uh, we're going to start out in 1 Thessalonians 3, as we're going through the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, but I want you to put your finger there because we're actually not going to start out there tonight. I want to, by way of introduction, take you to a couple of verses to lay the groundwork for where we're going in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Remember, this study is learning to get the most out of life. When you read and study the book of 1 Thessalonians, the thing that kept coming back to me was Paul was telling the Thessalonians, this is how you and I get the most out of our life, these principles that we can live by. And they've been very practical, I think, through the first couple chapters, and I think you'll find the same tonight. Um, but the reason I wanted to start out with a couple of verses, go back to Galatians, just back to the book of Galatians, to Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, and then I want to take us to a verse in Colossians. Paul, as I've said over and over, it was never about salvation being the end. Coming to know Christ in a personal way was always the beginning for Paul. There was always so much more than just knowing Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And, and that's why I wanted to go to these verses, because that's really when we pick it up in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, it's, it's about so much more than just knowing Jesus Christ in a personal way. It's about becoming all that Christ wanted us to be. It's about growing up in Christ. It's about maturing in Christ. And you get the heart of Paul in verses like Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, when he says to the Galatians, My children, I am again undergoing birth pains until Christ is formed in you. Now, obviously, as a male, he never actually experienced birth pains. But he's saying, look, it, it's painful to begin to to come alongside of Christians who've accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior and work with them to the point where you begin to see Christ truly reflected in their life, which is really the ultimate goal of knowing God. See, the ultimate goal of knowing God from God's perspective isn't just knowing God, going to heaven, having my sins forgiven. It's having Christ formed in me. It's becoming like Jesus Christ in all the ways that a human being can become like Jesus Christ. And then if you go over to the book of Colossians, just go through Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and you'll come to Colossians chapter 1. And you'll see Paul's heartbeat again here for that same thing. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 28 which is sort of one of my verses for my own ministry throughout the years as a teaching pastor, where Paul writes in Colossians 1.28, we proclaim Him, speaking about Christ in the context, the hope of glory, by instructing and teaching all people with all wisdom so that we may present every person mature in Christ. You see, again, it wasn't Paul's goal just to plant churches, just to get people saved, just to introduce them to Jesus Christ. That was never the purpose. The purpose was always, by introducing them to Jesus Christ, then they could grow up to become like Jesus Christ. That they could grow up and mature and grow. That's part of the reasons why we have Bible studies. Why have Bible study 
if all there is to the Christian life is just coming to know Christ. You know, as I've said before, why not God just zap us to heaven as soon as we become saved? No, God wants us to stay here on earth, make an impact on other people's lives for Him, and to grow up ourselves and to allow Christ to manifest Himself, transforming us from the inside out. Alright, so, now if you go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3... What we're going to dive into tonight, basically, is that everything that Paul shares in 1 Thessalonians 3, he's doing it because he wants Christ to be formed in these people. He wants them to mature in their faith and grow up to be all that God created them to be. To learn to get the most out of life that God has given us to live. And so the principles we're going to begin to share tonight talk about that very thing. And before we get into it tonight, let's have a word of prayer. God, thank you so much for uh, being here tonight, being here through your spirit and through your word. And Father, we pray that as we just dive into your word tonight, that you would challenge us and encourage us once again. Help all of us who are here tonight to truly be here because we want Christ to be formed in our lives. We want people, as they see us, to see Jesus and, and we want to mature in our walk with you. We want to grow in our relationship with you. And we know that one of the primary ways that we can do that is through our relationship with your word, the Bible. And so, Lord, use your Bible, your book tonight to speak to our hearts. Use your spirit to move in our lives so that we can grow a little bit and make some progress in our relationship and apply the principles that Paul has laid down in these chapters tonight in First Thessalonians so that, Lord, we might learn to get the most out of the life you've given us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, here we go. Paul begins in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 with these words. So when we could bear it no longer, we decided to stay on in Athens alone. We sent Timothy, our brother and fellow worker for God in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen you and encourage you about your faith. Remember last week we shared how that, or two weeks ago now, how we need to live with an open hand and we need to live selflessly. And how Paul was willing to stay at Athens alone and send Timothy, somebody that would have been a great encouragement to him so that he didn't have to be there alone. But Paul was all about what was best for others, not just about himself. And we said that was one of the ways you learn to get the most out of your life is by learning to live with an open hand instead of a clenched fist and And just living selflessly as Paul did. But here's the next principle, the first one tonight. Allow God to continually strengthen and encourage you in your faith. Allow God to continually strengthen and encourage you in your faith. Notice that's the reason in verse 2 he sent Timothy to Thessalonica. Was so, verse 2, they could be strengthened and encouraged about their faith. God always wants to encourage us and strengthen us in our faith. And that's where our faith, you know, sometimes our faith is shaken. Sometimes it's rocked. Sometimes the circumstances of life cause us to doubt and, and all of that. That's normal. But God always wants to continually come into our life and encourage us and strengthen us, especially in regard to our faith, so that we will continue to trust Him. Even when it's hard to trust Him, He wants us to trust Him and learn to trust Him more. And you'll notice also in these verses of 1 Thessalonians 3 that one of the great ways He encourages us and strengthens our faith is by sending people into our lives. Notice here, Timothy was going to be the mouthpiece for God, was going to be the instrument that God was going to use to encourage and strengthen the faith of the Thessalonians. So I I just share that because maybe God wants to bring somebody into your life right now to encourage and strengthen your faith. Maybe your faith is waning. Maybe you're in a place in life where you have doubts and your faith has been shaken by the circumstances of life. I guarantee you God wants to encourage you and strengthen you. And one of the ways that He may choose to do that is by bringing certain people into your life at the right time and the right way to encourage and strengthen your faith, just as He did Timothy to the Thessalonians. But, flip side, God may also want you to come alongside of somebody else, like Timothy, 
and, 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 and be sensitive to somebody out there, another Christian who's really hurting and struggling right now, that you can come alongside them and you can encourage and strengthen their faith and just say, you know, share with them your heart and, and maybe, you know, the word and, and whatever, just to be there with them. It is just so huge. But how do I get the most out of life? By allowing God, allowing God to encourage and strengthen me. You see, I think there are times, if we're very honest, where we're going through a really bad time and we don't want God to encourage or strengthen us. We want to be in that pity party for a little while longer. We want to feel sorry for ourselves a little bit longer. So even though God is trying to encourage and strengthen us, we've got to take some responsibility and say, but God, I've got to allow you to encourage and strengthen me. Because uh, He is, He wants to, are we allowing Him to? And so, that's one of the great ways we learn to get the most out of life, is just allowing God to strengthen and encourage us. Number two, live by God's insight and purposes. Live by God's insight and purposes. Notice, beginning in verse 3, the reason He sent Timothy to strengthen them and to encourage them about their faith was so that no one would be shaken in Thessalonica by the afflictions that they were going through, by the sufferings that they were going through. In other words, Paul was concerned that because of the circumstances of life, their faith was literally going to be shaken. And he didn't want them to stop trusting God. He wanted them to continue to trust, even in those hard times. So he sends Timothy to them so that they would not be shaken by these afflictions. Notice verse 3 at the end. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. In other words, he's saying, you realize because of what you've learned through your study of God's Word and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you realize that these afflictions should not be surprising to you. And again, so when I know that something is coming or I should expect something, it shouldn't rock my world as much as if I, I don't expect it. And so one of the things that Paul's reminding the Thessalonians is, you realize God forewarned you that this is going to be the way it is. That, that just because you accept Christ as your Savior doesn't mean everything's going to go you know, nice and smooth and you're not going to ever have any troubles. He says, no, in fact, he says, Christians are destined for these things, you see. And then he goes on to say in verse 4, for in fact, when we were with you, we were telling you in advance, in advance, that we would suffer affliction. And so it has happened as you well know. And so Paul is simply saying, one of the ways I learned to get the most out of life is by that keen insight that God gives me ahead of time of what I should expect and what I can expect as a Christian. And why things shouldn't take me by surprise. Like, oh, I, I didn't know that was coming. You know, no, God will give us insight into his will and into his plan if we'll just tap into it and begin to build a relationship with the word of God so that we can have God's perspective and insight on these things. Now I want to direct your attention to just one word in those verses. It's the word destined in my translation in verse three. He says, you yourselves know at the end of verse three that we are destined for this. This is a really cool word. It's a word in the Greek language that speaks about a special military assignment. And what he's saying is, do you realize that there are times in our lives where God sends us as a Christian on a special military assignment of being under affliction? Really? You mean, I'm somebody that God chose out to, to, to uh, you know, suffer? Yeah. And here's why. Because every once in a while, throughout our lives, God's going to put the spotlight on us under that affliction and use it to encourage others so that as they see my faith and how I am trusting God, even in the midst of hard times, I can be an encouragement to them. And so God, every once in a while, chooses us out and say, hey, I want to send you my, one of my soldiers on a special military assignment. Here it is. And that's why I've always told Christians, listen, any suffering that you go through is never purposeless. There is always a purpose behind it. 
You might not know what that purpose is, and maybe that purpose isn't even for you personally. Maybe it's not about you, but maybe God is using the circumstances of what you're going through to try to reach somebody else or encourage somebody else. That's found in that word destined, where it's part of our destiny, where God wants to use those afflictions to touch other people's lives. So again, if I'm living by God's insight into these things, then that helps me get more out of life. Because then I realize that nothing happens by accident. And whatever I go through, God's either, either using it in my life to strengthen me and to help Christ be formed in me and to mature my faith, or He's using it to reach somebody who doesn't know Christ, or He's using it to reach another Christian to strengthen their faith in God and to encourage them. These are the ways that Paul talked about just one other, and then I'm going to stop for a moment in case you guys have any comments or questions. Then if you'll go up to verse 5 of chapter 3. We also need to stand against Satan's seductions. For notice in verse 5, So when I could bear it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. For fear that the tempter somehow tempted you and our toil had proven useless. The only time in the Bible... That Satan is just called the tempter. I mean, that's just the title that Paul gives him here. Everybody knows who he's talking about here. Definite article, the tempter. Not just a temptation. The one who is always sent to tempt us and to try to trip us up. And in this context, here's where the bullseye always is, folks. It's always going to be on trying to shake our trust and faith in God. That's where Satan's going to... So, to get the most out of life, I've got to know that's coming, and I've got to stand against Satan tempting me to not trust God. Throughout my life, Satan is going to come into my life, and he's going to say, you can't trust God. Look at, look at what shape your life is in. If God really loved you, and yeah, on and on and on and on and on. And Satan will do everything he can to try to get us to distrust God. To, to, to not put our confidence in God. To shake our faith. In fact, Paul says, I don't want all the time I spent in Thessalonica planning this church and building this church. Again, what the verses we read at the very beginning, I want to see Christ formed in you. I want to see you grow up and mature in your faith. And if you guys are going to abandon your faith and you're going to start not trusting in God, then Satan has won the battle here. And I don't want to see that happen. I want to see you stand up against Satan trying to cause you not to trust God any longer, even though you're going through these afflictions. Now, this is a whole other study, but if you want to do a, a study on how do I stand up against Satan's temptations, specifically, study and read Ephesians chapter 6 on spiritual warfare. Paul gives us all the armor that we need to stand against Satan. And he even says, in a, here's how you and I can stand against Satan, specifically. Ephesians chapter 6. Read it, study it. It's a great passage of Scripture. But we're not studying Ephesians now. So we're going to keep going in 1 Thessalonians. Yeah, I do. That's good. That's good. All right. Before we move on, comments, questions. I'm using the, what's called the NET, the NET Bible. And it's, it's, it's very close to the NIV and the New American Standard. No. Because, again, the Greek word is the same. It's just that the translators of the NIV and the translators of the NET chose two English words. That, yeah, NET. No. In fact, the NIV is the version that most of the time you'll see Lynn and Ron using on Sunday. Yeah. I'm just weird. I just use the NET. Yeah. So. All right. Let's move on. Not really principles, but you can see then in verses 6 through 10, as I shared when we first started this, this series in 1 Thessalonians, Paul was closer to the Thessalonians than probably any other church that he planted. There was a real personal relationship there. It wasn't just professional. It was personal. And you, you get this as you read verses 6 through 10. Notice he says, But now Timothy has come to us from you and given us the good news of your faith and love and that you always think of us with affection and long to uh, see us just as we also long to see you. 
So in all our distress and affliction, we were reassured about you, brothers and sisters, through your faith. For now we are alive again if you stand firm in the Lord. For how can we thank God enough for you all? For all the joy we feel because of you before our God. We pray earnestly night and day to see you in person and make up what may be lacking in your faith. I just want to make one comment before I move on. I didn't want to take a lot of time in that passage. So it's a cool passage. I did want to touch on this. You'll notice we're talking about learning to get the most out of life. You'll notice in verse 8 that life in the Bible and life to the Apostle Paul is not just physical existence. Notice he says, now we are alive again. Well, obviously, he's not talking about physical, just breathing and just existing and my heart beating there. He's saying there's so much more to what God considers life than just physical existence. And according to this passage, there are degrees of life. In other words, I can be alive and then I can be alive. And then I can be alive, you know. And Paul says... I was alive, but now that I've heard back from Timothy and heard how well you're doing and how much you want to see us just as much as we want to see you, I'm really alive. You see, I've always said life is what we're alive to. And for Paul, his life was God. Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And his life was wrapped in people too. Because they were his life. God and people. That, that was what he devoted his life. That's what got him up in the morning. That's what caused him to bound out of bed. You know, that's what caused him to face all the suffering and afflictions and obstacles and opposition that he did for the cause of Christ. Because it was his life. It was his life. It was his very breath. But you'll notice what it was conditioned upon. Again, verse 8, if you stand firm in the Lord. That's what he wanted more than anything else. Again, not just for people to know Jesus, but for them to grow up in Jesus and for Christ to be formed in them and for them to mature and for them to grow and for them to stand firm so that when the the, the circumstances of life would come and shake their life up, they would be able to stand firm and continue to trust God instead of wavering. He wanted them to have such a spiritual inner strength that when life dealt them curveballs, they could still remain strong. That's why the writer of Proverbs says in Proverbs 24, 16, I think, if we faint in the day of adversity, our strength is small. And so God says, I want to build up your strength so that when adversity comes, because it's not a matter of if adversity comes in our lives, it's a matter of when adversity comes, I want you to be able to stand strong. When adversity comes. I think it's 2416 of Proverbs. Let me check real quick. Sometimes I don't trust my memory on Bible verses, but let me check real quick. No, wrong. Proverbs 2410. Proverbs 2416 is although a righteous person may fall seven times, he gets back up every time, which is a good verse as well. Proverbs 2410. All right. So let's move on. Verse 11. Learning to get the most out of life is looking to God for continual direction. Looking to God for continual direction. Notice Paul says, now may God our Father Himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And and Paul was going to let God be the one to direct his steps. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your path. Trust the Lord for your direction in life. And here's one of the reasons why. If you go back to chapter 2, verse 18, notice he says, Time and time again, we tried to get together with you guys, but Satan thwarted us. And then up in chapter 2, verse 16, he says, Hey, and we were trying to speak to the Gentiles so that they might be saved, but there were always those who opposed us and hindered us. And so in all of this opposition and, and obstacles and hindering and Satan thwarting, God, Paul says, you know what, we, how we got to live life? We just got to let God direct it. And when God opens up the door, then, you know, but, you know, until that time, we're just going to keep pressing forward and looking for God to direct our life and our steps. Um, it's just huge. And, and again, God doesn't lead us from point A to point Z. It's point A to point B, from point B to point C. It's one step at a time. And so as you're looking for God to direct your steps, 
as Paul is here in chapter 3, verse 11, he's saying, I want to get together with you guys. I really want to see you face to face. I want to encourage you. I want you guys to... We're close. We miss each other. But I've got to let God do it. If I try to force the issue, that might not be good. And if I just passively say, well, I, I just, I've had a few obstacles, I'm just going to give up. Paul says, no, that's not the way a Christian lives either. It might be a timing thing. And maybe it's been hard up to this point, but I'm, going to, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to quit trying, but I am going to look to God to be the one to get me to you or you to me. Let God direct your life. And then verse 12. Enlarge your love for one another. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all just as we do for you. Enlarge your love for one another. I mean, one of the best ways that we can keep on keeping on in the midst of struggles and afflictions and all that is when we have some people in our life that just love on us and just encourage us. And God says to His people, you've got to keep loving on each other. You've got to enlarge that love. You've got to love each other more and more. Because it's not going to get easier. It's only going to get harder. And uh, we just need the people of God to step up and just... I mean, really love each other as Christ loves us. That's one of the best ways we get the most out of life is when we love. I mean, Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And he wasn't just talking about money. He was just talking about the way we live our lives. To live giving rather than taking. To be a blessing rather than to always want to be blessed. Enlarge your love for one another. And then, as we close out chapter 3, two more. Pursue holiness and live every day in light of eternity, which we've talked about already. Pursue holiness. I don't want to miss this. Notice verse 13. So that keep loving each other, enlarge your love for each other so that your hearts are strengthened in holiness. Don't miss that. How is my inner man? How is my inner self strengthened? How do I become strong? How do I stay strong? How do I stay strong so that when adversity comes, I'm able to stand against adversity and stand against the seduction of Satan and all of that? By pursuing holiness. There is nothing in a Christian's life that's going to make you stronger than going after the holiness of God and allowing that holiness to become a part of your life. Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15. Be holy, God says, for I am holy. God expects His people to pursue holiness. Holiness. Godliness. That's what, and, and when we obey God and we pursue holy living, our hearts are strengthened. We become strong. You show me a Christian who's really weak and wavering, and not able to stand against Satan and allowing adversity just to blow them over. And I'll show you a Christian who's probably living a lot in the world and dabbling in sin and not really making holiness the goal of their life. I'll show you a Christian who is strong, who is able to stand against Satan, who can stand up when adversity comes, who's able to do all that. Because they're number one, I'm, gonna, I'm pursuing holiness so that my heart can be strengthened. That's just huge. We don't talk a lot about holiness, but it's so important to the Christian life. And then, live every day in light of eternity. Because one of the reasons why Paul wanted their hearts strengthened in holiness was so that they could be blameless before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all His saints. I hope you'll come back next week, because next week we're talking about the rapture. And you might even see me dance, because there is nothing that gets me more excited in the Bible than talking about the rapture. So we're going to be talking about that next week. But the whole premise of 1 Thessalonians is at the end of every chapter, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, and chapter 5, we pointed this out at the very beginning of our study, there's always a reference to the coming of Jesus. He's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back. And one of the reasons why Paul reminded the Thessalonians of that at, at the end of every chapter was because he wanted them to live every day in light of eternity. Because he knew that that was one way that could really motivate them to get the most out of life. That none of us has the promise of tomorrow. 
I mean, as a pastor, I deal with that all the time. I just did two funerals in the last four days. I mean, we're always faced with mortality. A lot of times we don't want to think about it, but we're not going to live forever. And what really counts is not my earthly life, even if I live to be 100 years old. What really counts is eternity. That's why he ends every chapter with a reference to that. He says, you know, one of the ways you get the most out of life is by living every day for... And I also say this. You show me a person who's ready to die, and I'll show you a person who's ready to live. See, a, a person who, who, you know, they're not sure about death and where they're going when they die and, and they have a fear of death and all that. I'll show you a person who really can't get the most out of life. Because they're, they're more focused on death than they are life. And, and we need to just relegate death to a secondary position and live. And live every day to its fullest. And as I shared with these folks in the memorial services, the past, you know, one of the things that funeral services, memorial services, call them what you want, does do for the living, hopefully, is it reminds us of our mortality and it reminds us, you know what, I, I really do need to not take so much for granted. I need to appreciate the life that I've got and the time that I've got and the people that God gives me and show that appreciation for God and for them and for what I've got more than what I do. Because it's always true, you know, someone dies close to us or whatever, and it's always like, you know, it's always, I, I wish I would have told them how much they meant to me. I wish we could have spent more time together. I wish, I wish, I wish, instead of just, just do it. Just do it. Get out there and live every day. And if God gives you the opportunity to get together with people, get together with them. And God gives you the opportunity to go on mission trips and get in Bible studies and, and, and encourage people and build into their lives. And be, then do it. Live every day to its fullest. But if your focus is, oh, what about death? You know, what about death? Then you're never really prepared to live. If you're ready to die, you're ready to live. And God wants you to enjoy life and live it to its fullest. That concludes chapter 3. Before we move into chapter 4, comments, questions? Yeah. No, no, that's great. And I know we've talked about this before in class, and I, I don't know why I can't remember this again. I need to be smart. No, no, no. no. <laughs> but we, we know that adversity and problems and, and situations are going to come to our life. That's, we're told about that. We know that a lot of times good can come out of the bad things that are going to happen to us and just positive. And we know as Christians when we come out the other side of a real difficult, challenging situation, affliction, what have you, we come out stronger. Mm -hmm. Yet we pray that none of these things ever happen. <laughs> okay. Right. So, and I know we talked about this before, and I'm sorry, Pastor Jim, I just can't remember what we said when we're praying that none of these things happen, I mean, are we are we at conflict with okay, don't don't bring all the benefits that come out of it? What you know what I mean? It's, it's no, it's. I think the way I, I've shared with people is look, I, I think God understands. Obviously, we're human. We don't want pain. Nobody welcomes pain into our lives. And obviously, if we had our druthers, we wouldn't choose that. I think what we do is it's okay to pray for my healing or other people's healing, but we just leave the last word with God. Because, again, God, as we've said before, is sovereign. He's all wise. He knows everything. He knows the big picture. He knows the beginning and the end. We just know this little, little sliver called our life. And so we may say, God, I don't see how this is going to do any good. And God says, oh, but you don't see how that is going to affect that. So, you know, that's where we have to leave the final word with God. I don't think it's wrong to pray for healing. I think God heals. Uh, obviously, you're an example of that. But at the same time, God allowed you also to go through suffering, too. So, and I think, again, we have to remember that the Bible teaches that for human beings, suffering has a redeeming value, both in our lives and in the lives of others. God can use our suffering to touch us deeply and to touch other people deeply. And we just have to keep reminding ourselves of that. Telling ourselves the truth. And reminding ourselves that's what God says. Here's what Satan's telling me. Here's what God's telling me. And learn to choose to not believe the lies of Satan and believe the truth of God and live by it. Yes? I think if we can see the end result of a life lived without any struggle, 
just joy and happiness every day, and nothing coming in my path. It's kind of like I get victory and I can do the happy dance because I had just went through a tough time. That makes it feel so good. It's kind of like watching a football game. The one team is just clobbering the other one. People are leaving at halftime. Right. No challenge at all at all. These guys shouldn't even show up. First, the game where it's really tough, and the team finally wins by seconds and inches and whatever toward the end of it. Everybody in the stands, well, there's half of them, are doing happy dance because they're enjoying the deal. Right. And the other ones might win another game when they've been getting clobbered the last six games. Now it's a real victory. Right. Uh, that's really the same thing in our life. Don't feel bad. You get to go to McDonald's and have after meal and say, yeah. Right. Exactly. I hope it's more than that. <laughs> I hope it's at least brownies or something. Hey, no, to add on to that, great point. I, I think I've shared this biosphere, too, down here in Arizona. One of the things that that environment could not duplicate was wind. And that's why they could never keep any trees there of any strength, because we all know, if we know anything about trees, again, going back to strengthening, that the reason trees are strengthened and their roots go down and they're strong is because of the wind. And as the wind blows against trees, they get stronger. Uh, and that's what God, God wants to make us mighty oaks, in a sense, uh, of God for him. Well, the only way that we can do that every once in a while is for God to allow some wind to blow in our lives so that we will be stronger because of it. No wind, no root system, no real strength, a little bit just topples you over. In fact, in my anxiety and stress class on Sunday, one of the things I was pointing out there too was that if a person never suffers any adversity in their life and all of a sudden later on in life they have something happen to them, they just totally lose it and fall apart. Because they never had the experience of really having any kind of suffering in their life and then all of a sudden when it came, they didn't know how to handle it. We've all known people like that. And so better to have a little bit of you know, suffering throughout and, and begin to learn how to strengthen and, and, and allow God to strengthen us. It's just so huge. Just so huge. Yes. I just want to share the book of James. It's just been such a blessing to me because you really do become more spiritually mature mm. when you go through trials. Yeah. When you go through those struggles. And how you deal with them can be such a testimony to people around you. Yeah. Because there's been some things over the last few years that in the natural would have locked anybody's boat. And it's not that it didn't lock mine. It's just that I tried to maintain my eyes on him. Yeah. And they knew that something was different. And I had several people that knew what was going on and said, how can you still be joyful? And I said, I know who I serve. Amen. Yep. Um, You know, it just makes all the difference in the world. Yep. Hey, look at Daniel chapter 3. God never promises that we won't go through the fire. He just promises to be there with us in the fire. And when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said... Nebuchadnezzar, I'm not bound to that idol. He threw him into the fire. But who was there with him? Jesus, I believe, was right there with him in the fire. And God never promises you that you'll never go through the fire, but He does promise you as a Christian He'll walk there with you through it. And He will. That's the difference. That's the difference. Yeah. Cool. Good stuff. Yes. Oh, no. You're, no, you're exactly right. There's going to be times where it stinks. And you just, yeah, you're saying to God, God, I'm really at the end of myself here. You know, you told me that you would only put on me what you knew I could handle. And that was like 10 days ago. And I'm way past that. Um, And here's, I mean, this may not help, but here's what I remind myself of. First of all, God knows my limit better than I do. And God does want me to get to the end of myself. Because God wants me to understand at that depth. And, and there's only, you know, again, God, God weighs this all out. He, he doesn't let us stay there. But there are times in my life where God literally does break me and want me to get to the end of myself because he wants me to discover something that only I can discover when I do get to the end of myself. And that is when I'm at the end of myself and at the end of my resources, I'm never at the end of God's resources. God is infinite. And when I say, God, there, I have nothing left. I am drained. God says, good, now I'm going to carry you. In other words, it's, it's just like you don't need to keep trying to, you know, 
when, like Paul says, when I'm weak, I found out I was really strong in the Lord's strength. So a lot of times what God says is he's going to let us sort of drain ourselves and come to the end of us and our resources so that we will totally look to him and we will be at a level of trust and faith with him that we were never at before. I've been there. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. And that's one of those depth experiences with God that comes just a couple times in our life. But wow, how it does take us beyond what we ever thought we could do. It's sort of like that Peter walking on the water. You know, Humanly, that can't happen. But with God, I can walk on water. And so God wants to say, look, you, don't, you think this is the end for you. This, you think this is your limit. I want to take you here to show you that with me, that's not your limit. There is no limit with me. I can take you much further than that. But no, it's something we all struggle with. Yeah, good stuff. Chapter 4. Don't become spiritually complacent. Wow. Notice in chapter 4, on the heels of talking about living every day in light of eternity... He says, finally, then, brothers and sisters, we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received instruction from us about how you must live and please God as you are, in fact, living. In other words, hey, you're doing it, but you could do it more and more. (laughs) Don't ever be satisfied. Don't ever become spiritually complacent where you say, you know what? I've arrived, you know, I can just now turn it on automatic pilot and just set sail for heaven. That is the most dangerous thing any of us can ever do. Because as I've shared before, there is no such thing as sort of like leveling off and getting spiritually to some plateau and just staying there. The Bible says I'm either moving forward and making progress in my relationship with Him or I'm regressing and I'm going backward. There, there is no, I get to a certain point and I stay there. I'm either going forward or I'm going backward. So that's why the Bible gives us these exhortations and encouragement. Just keep on going more and more. And it's all about making progress. God doesn't expect perfection. God knows there is not going to be perfection on this side of heaven. But all God wants His children to keep on doing is making progress. So as I've said to you before, all that means is that Jeff Roy should look a little bit more like Jesus to others today than I did yesterday. I should look a little bit more like Jesus this week than last week. This month than last month. This year than last year. That's the way it should look. That I just don't become spiritually complacent and comfortable with where I'm at, but just keep, as Paul says, knowing that I've not arrived and I keep pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Next, honor God with His body. Notice, for you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is God's will, that you become holy, that you keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own body in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. Stop right there. Oh, my goodness. Well, as many of you know, we're going to do a whole series called Bringing Sexy Back. A lot of it's going to touch on this. Um. But I think I want to start by saying this. I have so many Christians who say, Pastor Jeff, can you tell me what God's will is? What's God's will? Tell me what God's will is. There's like 12 or 15 times just in the New Testament where phrases just like this spelled out. This is God's will. Can't be any more plainer than that. Well, I don't, I don't want to know about that will. I, I, you know, and what they're really saying is, You know, I want God to tell me what job I should take or what car I should buy or whatever. And here's what I tell people. I say, look, Christian, here's what you've got to understand. If you aren't going to focus on doing the will of God, if he clearly spells it out very clearly in his Bible, do you think he's really going to go overboard to start telling you what color car to buy and all the what? You know, in other words, if you're not concerned about what his revealed will and black and white in the Bible is, do you think he's going to go any further than that? You know, and so there are Christians who just disregard, you know, keeping away from sexual immorality, and yet, I want to know what God's will is for my life. 
Well, this is God's will for your life, you see. And the reason I put down there to honor God with His body is because, remember, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 that we have been bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ, and our bodies are not our own. They are actually His. And so we need to remember that when we became a Christian, we didn't just ask God to forgive us of our sins and you know, give us admittance into heaven and all of that. It was, God, here's, here's my life. And part of that is, here's my body. This isn't my body anymore. This is your body. You are my Lord. I give you my body. So we have to remember that. And God wants us to honor Him with His... And that's one of the ways we get the most out of life. Satan will come along and tell people, you know, if you just do this and do that, and you're going to really enjoy that. And God says, no, no, no. The real way to get the most out of life is do what I tell you to do. That's the way to get the most out of life. In fact, notice in verse 5, maintain your distinctiveness. Notice he says, Christians should not live like the rest of the world. There should be a difference between the way Christians live and how they use their bodies and the way people who don't know God and don't pretend to know God use their bodies. That's why he makes the comment in verse 5, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. People who claim to know God should be using their bodies in different ways and we should be distinct. And that's one of the things that should draw people to us and to Christ is our distinctiveness. Listen, if there's no difference between me and a person who doesn't know Jesus Christ, then how can I go out and say, Jesus Christ makes such a difference in my life? And they look at my life and go, I don't see any difference between you and me, so I I don't see the difference. But if they see that Jesus Christ truly does make a difference in my life, and that I live my life distinctly different from the way they live their life and the choices that they make, then when those choices be not, don't begin to bring all the satisfaction and fulfillment that the devil said it would, then they've got somebody to come to and go, okay, I, I want to know about your God now because I did it my way for a long time and it's not, it's not doing anything for me. I, I, I want something else. There's got to be something else out there. I've tried relationship after relationship after relationship. It's like the gal at the well in John chapter 4 when Jesus sat down, the woman of Samaria, and the Bible said, you know, Jesus was just reaching out there and said, listen, I've got water for you that if you drink this water, you'll never thirst again, and I'm the bread of life, and if you eat the bread that I'll give you, you'll never be hungry again. And there are people out there in this world who they're hungry, they're thirsty, they're looking for something to truly satisfy them, and Jesus Christ is over here saying, I'm the only one that can truly come into your life and just give you satisfaction, just partake of me. But we've got to maintain our distinctiveness to do that. Next, live within God's boundaries. In this matter, verse 6, no one should violate the rights of his brother or take advantage of him. And I, I just say it this way, live within God's boundaries, reminding ourselves that God's boundaries are for our own good and for our own enjoyment and to get the most out of life. God is not a cosmic killjoy up there creating all these rules about our sexuality and everything so that we won't enjoy life. Let's remember something. God created sex and created relationships and all that. But He knows how it best is fulfilled. And He's just saying, if you just do it my way, that's when you're going to find true life and abundant life and fulfillment and satisfaction. But if you choose to go another way, So live within my boundaries. I mean, we can go right back to the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis where, again, what was Satan trying to do with Eve and Adam? Live without, you know, God says, here's my boundary. You can eat of every tree in this huge garden except one. Except one. That was the only boundary. And what did Satan try to do? God's got something to hide behind that tree. You know that if God really loved you, he'd let you eat every tree. You know, God's really hemming you in, isn't he? And instead of looking at all the freedom that we have with God and all the trees we could eat, like every human being, we're always focused on the one thing we can't do. And that's the one thing we want. Satan's been playing this game with us since the beginning of time. Same strategy, because he knows it works. And all God is saying is, yeah, but you don't understand. If you eat from that tree, you'll die. 
That's not good. Death isn't good. You might not even know what death is, but it's not good. Trust me. So don't eat from that tree. They did. As many of us, they learned their lesson the hard way. And God just simply said, if you would have lived within my boundaries, you would have lived forever in a sinless state. How good would that have been? Thanks a lot, Adam and Eve. No, I'm just kidding. I'd have made the same mistake. And then, finally, in this passage, in this specific, pay attention to God's warnings. That's huge in learning to get the most out of life. Pay attention to God's warnings. Notice he goes on to say, because the Lord is the avenger in all these cases, as we also told you earlier, and warned you solemnly. For God did not call us to impurity, but holiness. There again is that word. Holy, holy, holy. I want to talk, though, for a minute about the whole warning thing. God always warns his children. Always. And he warns people. And he always sends plenty of warning signals so that if we go crashing our car down the embankment, it's only because we ignored all the signs of God said, there's a bridge out, there's a bridge out, you don't want to go down here, you don't want to go down here. And we just keep driving and saying, nope, I'm just going to ignore it. Learning to get the most out of life is learning to pay attention to the warning signs. And when God starts sending up those red flags and those warning signals about relationships and about whatever, we need to pay attention to them. That's why I always tell people one of the greatest verses in the Bible to to determine God's will is Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. God wants to give His children a supernatural peace. And if you don't have a peace about it, if you don't have that tranquility of mind then you better back off. And it may not be a permanent thing. It may be a timing thing. But I always tell people, when in doubt, what? Don't. Don't. Because Don't. God wants to give you His peace to control, to umpire, to arbitrate your decisions. Pay attention to the warning signs. For 120 years, God warned the people of Noah's day, there's a flood coming. 120 years. So that none of those people who drowned because they didn't get on the ark couldn't say, God never gave me enough chance. He, he, he didn't give me enough warning. A hundred and how many times did Noah tell them, flood's coming, better get on the ark. And here's, here's the eerie sort of sobering thing. The Bible says in prophecy that just as in the days of Noah, it will be just like that in the time before Jesus comes. That there's going to be a lot of warnings, but people are just going to ignore them and just turn it off. Not pay attention. I think it's very interesting that he equates the time of Jesus' return and the attitude of people to the days of Noah and the attitude of those people. Pay attention. Pay attention to God's warnings. It's the way we get the most out of life. Because again, God has our best interest at heart. If God's telling us to stay away from something, it's only for our own good so that we can truly enjoy life. And if God tells us to get involved with something and do it, it's only because it's for our own good. All right. We have a few minutes left. Comments, questions. Don't forget the rapture's coming next. Well, I don't, I don't mean the rapture's coming next. I don't know when the rapture's coming. Thank you. Thank you. But if the rapture does come next week, I'm going to go, Pastor Jeff said, no, please. I'll get fired if you go out here. Yeah, Pastor Jeff said next, by next Tuesday. No, I did not say that. I did not say that. Yeah. We're going to talk about the rapture next. If the rapture does have me for next Tuesday, I'll be the happiest person in the world. It won't bother me. So, all right. I got three more things to share if you don't make all right, let's get through them real quick. Because I want to finish then out uh, verse 12 and then we'll start on the rapture passage in verse 13 next Tuesday night. And, and folks, if you have somebody that's interested in prophecy, maybe death is a scary thing for them. They have a fear of death. Uh, maybe they're not even a Christian uh, or they're a new believer and, and all that. Invite them to come next week. It's going to be one of the most encouraging talks you, you could ever hear this passage on the uh, on the rapture 
uh, especially for folks like that. Here they are, the last three principles. Express your love for one another. We talked earlier in verse 12 about enlarging your love for one another. In chapter 3, verse 12, express your love for one another. Now, on the topic of brotherly love, chapter 4, verse 9 of 1 Thessalonians, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. That's huge. And God wants us to express that love to each other. So notice he goes on, and indeed you are practicing it toward all the brothers and sisters in all of Macedonia. Love isn't just something I say. Love is an action word. It's something I do. I need to do both. I need to express my love verbally, and I need to express my love in practical ways. You see. Express your love for one another. That's so practical. I mean, every one of us could leave here tonight and go, okay, Lord, Give me one brother or sister in Christ this next week, before we meet back again next Tuesday, that I could express my love and appreciation for. I mean, we could all do that. And if everybody in this room did that, then there'd be a lot of people who would be encouraged over this next week. Next, keep your life in order, not chaos. Now, I realize sometimes chaos comes onto us through no fault of our own. But when we... When we're able to, in a sense, be building our lives and managing our lives, what God is looking for are good stewards who keep their life in order and not go from one chaos to another. Notice, but we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more about expressing your love for each other, to aspire to lead a quiet life, to attend to your own business... Because we know there are a lot of Christians who are more interested in other people's business than their own. And to work with your own hands as we commanded you. And all, all Paul is simply saying here again is this. If I, as a good steward of what God has given me, am able to keep it in order and not chaos, then I'm able to be able to help others a little bit more. As we've talked about, I can't lead others before I lead myself. And if my life's in chaos, who's going to come to me and say, hey, uh, I see your life's in chaos. Could you help me with my life? (laughs) But if they see that our life is in somewhat of an order, then first of all, we're going to attract people to us so that we can encourage them and help them in their lives. And secondly, then it frees us up to be able to help others. If my life is always in chaos and turmoil, I'm so focused on trying to keep all the plates spinning in my life, I have no time to, to, to encourage other people and to love on others and to serve others. Because my life is just totally in chaos all the time. So that's why in this passage he's saying, look, aspired again... God understands. There are some times where chaos comes on us. We had nothing. To, it just it, And obviously, we've got to navigate that time in our life. But he's saying there's also that point where you don't just jump from chaos to chaos to chaos to chaos. And where we learn with God's help to get our life under some control and order so that we can help and encourage others. Which leads me to the last point for tonight. Last principle. Live in such a way... That a platform to share Christ is established. Live in such a way that a platform to share Christ is established, which is really built on verse 11. But notice verse 12, how these go into context with each other. If I'm aspiring to lead a quiet life, attending to my own business, working with my own hands, then I'm building up a testimony and a platform to those, verse 12, in this way, as I live this way, you will live a decent life. An ordered life before outsiders, just speaking about those who don't know Christ yet and not be in need. In other words, it's going to give me a platform. It's going to begin to build. People are going to be, in the right way, impressed with how I live my life and the way I live my life. And it's going to attract them. It's going to draw them, not to me, but ultimately to my Savior. So that when they come to me, if they have any interest in my life and asking me questions about, you know, the order of my life and and how I do my life and the way I do my life, which is, again, supposed to be distinct from the way they're living their life and the choices they make, 
that gives me the chance to point them to Jesus and say, let me tell you about my Savior. Let me tell you about my Lord. I want to introduce you to Him. Which is sort of what Peter says when he says, set apart Jesus Christ as Lord so that you may always be ready to give an answer to anyone who comes up and asks you a reason of the hope that is within you. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Guys, you're terrific. I really appreciate you being here on Tuesday nights. We've got one more Tuesday to go in the summer before we break for about a month and then come back in August. So I hope you'll be with me next week. And have a great week. Let's close in prayer. If the rapture... No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> oh, God, thank you for the joy that you give us. Um, God, we know that the world in which we live, there's lots of problems and things going on out there. But, Father, even in the midst of all that's going on in the world, and maybe even in our world, we can still have the joy of the Lord. We can still rejoice in the Lord. And so, Father, we thank you for the joy that you give us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your Word. And we thank you, Lord, for these principles that you lay down in your Word that helps us to learn to get the most out of life. God, you truly want us to just... Grab life and just soak it up every day to just live every day to the fullest and live every day as if it could be the last day. That's why I think Moses wrote in, in Psalm 90, verse 12, so teach us to number our days, to recognize our own mortality so that we can apply our hearts to live wisely. God, help us to live wisely. Help us to get the most out of life. And Father, we just pray this week that those that need encouraged because they're really going through some really hard times right now, that you would send the right people, a Timothy, into their life this next week to encourage and strengthen their faith. And Father, I pray for those of us that you have encouraged so greatly that you would allow us to come alongside of others and be able to encourage and strengthen their faith. Lord, go with us tonight. Take us all home safely and bring us back next week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, thank you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.